All right, friends, if we want to just uh, regather here and find your seats uh, back at your spots, just want to go over a couple announcements really quick. Um, there's a Google form sheet being sent out, uh, and we just want to gauge where you guys are going to be at during the holidays. Uh, I know it could be such a busy time traveling and all that. Uh, the main reason is just whether we need a big space to worship those uh, particular Sundays or, or if we just move to a smaller venue. Um, so it, it helped us a lot if you do fill that out. Um, today will just be the last day, and then we'll kind of gauge from there. Uh, we are in the month of November and December. Where there's got a lot of things that we're thinking about. Uh, we're thinking about a, a Friendsgiving, uh, having it on a Saturday, particularly the 16th, I believe. Um, if you are open to hosting uh, your house, uh, please let me know. Please let me know because uh, it'll be a wonderful time for all of us to be able to just gather and get that homey feeling. Uh, and so if you uh, are open to it, uh, please do let me know. Um, other than that, we also have a meal train still going on for the PAC family. Uh, if perhaps, I think maybe this is going to be the last week. I don't know, maybe uh, fact check me on this. But um, uh, Sharon and Ryan, as they uh, raise a new, uh, new child uh, into the world and welcome her, uh, we want to be able to also show our care. Uh, and so uh, if you guys are able, if you can sign up on the, I believe there's like a, a website sign-up sheet, um, please help out with that. Uh, let's give it one last hurrah here. And last but not least, we want to continue to pray for Pastor Sung of Christ Central uh, that as he continues to uh, battle with uh, chemotherapy, with cancer, uh, let's pray that uh, God will continue to heal his body and um, uh, really be there for his family. Um, we also want to lift up Bonnie, uh, that uh, God will continue to place uh, healing hands on her as well to quick, safe recovery for her. Um, that's it for the announcements. We now turn to our scripture passage for today, which is Mark chapter 9, verses 30 through 37. And we've been going through the gospel of Mark where Jesus shows us how to really be a disciple. Like, that's the main target focus here uh, ever since um, the transfiguration. That if you really want to understand, if you really want to follow me, be my disciple. Today really breaks down what that looks like, the heartbeat of that, the mentality that we're supposed to have. What does it truly mean to be great in the kingdom of God? That's what he wants to share with us. And so with that in mind, we turn Mark chapter 9, verse 30 through 37. And if I can ask all of you, those who are able, can you stand with me for the reading of God's word? These are God's holy, inspired, and life-giving words. Uh, let's give them our full attention today. They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum, and we, when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all, 
And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Thus goes the reading of God's word. May he continue to bless it for us as the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Friends, please be seated. And would you, uh, would you join your hearts with mine in a quick word of prayer? Lord, we pray and ask that you would shape and mold our hearts to truly see what true greatness looks like, to value the things of your kingdom more than anything else. It's going to take a work of God to do so. So we sit here passively. We sit here asking your spirit to be at work. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Remember when they used to make pagers back then? I got a picture of it right here on this uh, slide here. Um, for those of you who are post-millennials, uh, a pager is basically uh, a wannabe cell phone. You can't really call anyone on it. You can't even really text on it. All that happens on this pager is that it beeps, tells you a number that you're supposed to call back. Um, that's all it does. It summons you. And as a child, as a young kid, I thought pagers looked so awesome. And I always wanted one because my dad had one, and I felt like it made him look really important and special. And so one day my dad says, okay, here, Amos, you can have my old pager. And I was super ecstatic about it. Um, and I'd, I'd, I'd wear this pager everywhere. You can clip it to your belt, and it also comes with these chain accessories. So, I, you know, I had to get, like, the long chain to, like, be extra and show people that I've got a pager that no one calls me on, but it made me feel important, you know? And then years later, I realized what technology this is, and I realized the whole purpose of this pager is that you're at the beck and call of your employer. Suddenly, it didn't seem as significant to me. You know, it seemed like such useless technology. This is a thing about what we consider to be important. What do you consider to be important in your life? What's meaningful to you? Because at the end of the day, right, you possess values, and the most important thing about those values is you will practice what you actually value, what's actually important to you. Values are always being practiced. Question is, what's truly important to you? Jesus has a far different value system than the world's, than your employer's, than whatever accolades that you strive for. And in, in Jesus' value system, uh, he shows us, he redefines the greatest of all lives is a life lived of service, to have a servant heart. That's all we want to break down today. There's three reasons why Jesus says being a servant is the greatest of all. Let's consider three things here. One is the comparisons. Secondly is character. And last of all is what it means to be a child. So those three things, comparison, character, and a child. Let's look at point one here, comparisons. Jesus, notice here, he goes back through Galilee 
which is the very place where Jesus starts his ministry. Because if you look on the slide up here, in chapter 1, verse 14 through 15, Jesus proclaims in Galilee that the kingdom of God is at hand. That's where it all started. So you would naturally think if Jesus goes back to the place where it all began, where it all started for him, you would think that he'd want to let people know how it's going, right? The statistics of how many people have been coming to God, uh, how many healings that he has done uh, to really open the eyes of the blind. You, you would want to think that he'd, be able, he'd want to show these things and let his own hometown kind of know. But instead, he doesn't do that. He says, don't tell anyone that I'm here. Not a single soul has to know I'm around. You know, in our minds, in our thinking, that's terrible marketing, right? Like, don't tell anyone that I've done, I'm here. Don't tell anyone about my miracle. Don't tell anyone about my teaching. It's so counterintuitive. Why on the earth does Jesus not want anyone to know uh, uh, what he's, uh, why doesn't he want, at least at this point, why doesn't he want anyone to know that he's in Galilee? I think of it as this. He's removing the distractions of the crowds. And he just wants to get through his disciples. Here's what I'm really about. Here is my mission statement for you. And Jesus breaks it down for them. He simply says, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, they uh, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. Very clear. There's no, like, there's no allegory or anything, no, no misinterpretation of what Jesus is trying to get at. Disciples, I want to make crystal clear to you, my mission to save the world is through death and resurrection. So don't be surprised when they deliver me over to be killed. Yet the disciples still don't get it. They still don't understand. And look at this detail. They said, it says that they were too afraid to ask him. Which is incredibly strange when you think about it. Because just a couple of verses ago, up here, uh, just a couple of verses ago, they asked in private why they couldn't cast out a demon-possessed boy. They have no problems asking Jesus any type of question, no matter how foolish it may seem at the time. Yet for some reason, right here, the disciples are absolutely quiet. Why is that? The answer is in the silence. Because as they're traveling to Capernaum together, there is a lively discussion going on between the disciples, and Jesus wants to know, what are you guys discussing? What are you guys all talking about? But they kept quiet, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. No wonder they got so quiet. It wasn't so much the fear of asking, but the fear of the answers that they would receive. They don't like this whole death business, because in their minds, if they're following Jesus, they're following the Son of God, they're thinking uh, important positions in the kingdom of God, president, vice president, whatever title you want to give them, that's where their mindset is at. We're going to be the greatest. But which one of us will get a greater position? It's like child's play here. 
they bicker and they compare and they fight. The thing is, when's the last time you find kids fighting over uh, the role of playing maybe like the Christmas play? You want to, what kid fights for the role of a tree, a prop in the background? No one ever does that. Or what, what uh, child, uh, when they play on a football team, who, who begs to just be the water boy? No, you want the star position. You want the spotlight and the pizzazz of it all. You want who is the greatest. And this desire to stand out, it's not just child's play. It's embedded in all of our hearts to compete and to compare ourselves against everyone else. It's in all, it's in all of us. It's innate. And the thing is, not all comparisons are bad, but when it starts to turn into envy and when, it starts to turn, when life just becomes about competition, it's no longer child's play here. You know, there's this uh, philosopher, his name is Rene Garrard. They called him the prophet of envy because one of his main ideas is that when human beings, they have all the necessities that they need, uh, like things like food, water, shelter, uh, clothing, and all that, when human beings have their basic necessities meant to survive, the thing that they desire next is what everyone else has. He calls it mimetic, mimetic desires. We simply want what someone else has. You know who read Gerard? Peter Thiel, venture capitalist of Facebook that backed Mark Zuckerberg. He knew what a powerful idea this was, that we simply want what someone else has. You know, I, uh, there's this basketball player that I follow in the NBA. His name is uh, Lamelo Ball. And on Twitter, he posted this picture of, uh, you guys know what grills are? It's not that important. They're kind of like, I don't know, like clip-on fake teeth, and you clip them onto your teeth. And he posted a picture of an $80,000 diamond grill, a grill full of diamonds, $80,000. And all I could think about was the fact, you know, if you have the money, okay, that's fine. But all I think about is, why are diamonds so expensive? Because my kids, they collect rocks all the time. Some of them do look shiny, and some of them a little bit clear. They're, they're, not really, uh, they're not diamonds, but they're the same thing. A rock is a rock, right? But why do we value it so much? Because someone else does. Other people value them. This is the whole comparison game that we're all stuck in that we have such an innate need to be the greatest. That's what it's all about. There was this period when my kids would compete with each other about everything. I mean everything. Coming to the dinner table, oh, I'm first. Or when we are passing out the portions of the dessert, mine is bigger than yours. Or like spoons and forks. It'd be this real competition of like, mine is still better. And it would drive me nuts because one of the kids always ends up crying after this kind of argument. And so, like, I'm trying to rack my brain, like, how do I, how do I fix this problem, right? And um, one child psychologist, she, she just put it this way. She just said, you know, it's not so much that the kids are competing against one another as, a, as, as, as more as, instead, it's more about the fact that, do you still find me important? Do you still love me? 
suddenly it's not so much about sibling rivalry, but a matter of, am I lovable? And yet, isn't that what the heart desires? No matter how old we are, am I still lovable? See, in all the ways that we can compare, in all the ways that we can compete, in all the ways we can want to proclaim to ourselves, I just want to be the greatest at what I want. Jesus simply says, doesn't matter how great you are, what truly matters is, where is your character at? Where is your character at? Which brings us to point number two. Jesus brings another teaching moment as he gathers his disciples around him. In verse 35, he says, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And the teaching here is not a call for us to be self-deprecating or to undermine everything that we've done in our lives, nor does it mean for us to get demotions in our jobs or workplaces or find the most menial tasks that you can find and think of to do. It's a matter of our heart and mindset for our lives. That what Jesus wants most of all is for us to place others before the kingdom of ourselves. And the way that we can tell whether this is happening or not, whether the Jesus' value statement here is being more and more real for us, is that when every time we make a decision, the top priority has to be, how will this affect me? Instead, it has to be, how will this affect others? How will this affect my communities? Guys, my prayer at New Life Fremont is the hope that you do do great things with your lives, that great things do happen. Not at the cost of your character, though. Not at the cost of servanthood. I remember putting together this one conference for uh, college students, and it was about career and work. And, um, you know, we're trying to get people to network because when you're about to graduate, that's, a, that's an anxious time for a lot of people. And uh, we, we got some people to come and some keynote speakers to kind of share about their faith and how it weaves in with career. And there was this one keynote speaker that came, and um, I, didn't, I didn't ask for them, but they came, and they started sharing about their career. And basically, he just started talking about all the great accolades in his life, how he's the 5% out of the top 5%. He was the only doctor to be this kind of specialist. And um, all these different stories about uh, the, the kind of Ivy League school that he graduated from and the, the obstacles that he faced to get over those things. And then to top it all off, he ends his speech by saying, I believe everybody needs an elevator speech. Just three seconds to define who you are. And he said, here is mine. I'm the top specialist doctor of so-and-so. And I forgot the middle part, but the last one I remember very well. And I hope to be, I hope to make $10 million by the end of my life. Mic drop. No mention of Jesus. No talk about faith. Just all about I'm the greatest it was the worst conference I've put together. I'll never put a conference together again. I remember this moment so distinctly. And yet the thing is, am I really all that different? Are we really all that different? That maybe perhaps we don't have an elevator speech prepared, but there is one that we try to, that, that, that we uh, harbor in our hearts. We might not say it, doesn't mean we don't have it. 
You want to be great, Jesus asks. He brings the child before them in the midst of them. He, he holds this child, and Jesus tells everyone, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me doesn't receive just me, but him who sent me. And the thing about children back then in this context is that they have no rights at all, no real rights. Therefore, they have no real power or authority. And in this context, it was highly prized to be hospitable to one another. And so servants would be hospitable to their masters to, to kind of like appease them. And then if you're higher up in society, you would basically wine and dine other important people to kind of get that favor back reciprocally, right? Maybe a higher position or a higher status uh, by really impressing uh, other people. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I want you to receive everyone like a child, someone who can't give you anything back, someone who can do no favors for you. That is true greatness. That's what it means to be truly great, to serve others without expecting anything back like they are a child. That's the thing about children. The thing is, culturally speaking, uh, the times have changed and now how we, where um, people are, are having less and less kids. See, for the first time since the bubonic plague of the 14th century, the world's, the entire world's population has shrunk significantly just based on the sole fact that people are having less kids. And most people thought the reason for this is because, you know, the world seems a little bit harsher with all the pandemic, with all the political strife, why bring a child into this? And there's this, uh, this low-key guilt that maybe perhaps it's the best thing not to have a child. But this doesn't account for the wealthiest of nations, like Switzerland and Japan, whose percentages drop significantly low lower. And what analysts understood is that people realize that people don't just stop having kids when life seems bad, but they also seem to have less kids when life seems good. Because to bring a child, to have a child, is to always be inconvenienced. You know, I, had this, uh, I had this lunch with my uh, kids at Chick-fil-A, their like, favorite restaurant. We're all enjoying our meals together, and Millie asked me that if she can trade in her uh, meal toy for like an ice cream, because Chick-fil-A is awesome like that, that you can. Well, if you didn't know, now you know. You're welcome. And, and so I say, sure you can, but only if you eat your food really well. So I thought, wow, what an amazing parenting strategy. She's like munching and nibbling. I don't have to wait for her. And, you know, she's doing great. I'm looking at my clock. Oh, I'm just on time to do other errands in my day. Uh, things are going well. And then all of a sudden, she stops eating and she tells me, Appa, I have to go poo. I was like, oh, no. And like, it frustrated me at that point. I told her, hey, if you go poo, then we can't get ice cream. Can you hold it? She says, fine. And then my son kind of giggles and says, Appa, that's kind of harsh. <laughs> he was right. So I let her do her thing. She pooed and also got her ice cream. Not at the same time, but one after the other. What was I doing there? gaslighting my own child just so that I can be more efficient with my time. The kingdom of myself. 
many such instances like this that I'd rather serve the interest of self than for my own dear child. That perhaps our elevator speeches aren't the problem. Perhaps what God and Jesus are really getting at is not about elevator speeches, but rather can you elevate the rest of humanity in the way that you serve to lift one another up? Because the God of the Bible does not necessarily say, I'm high and mighty, but rather what does he do? He comes down to us to serve, not to be served. That's what his heart's desire. You know what this looks like? It looks like this man up here. I can't pronounce his name, so forgive me for butchering it, but Awad Darashi, just 23 years old. He's this paramedic who also happened to be at the Israeli music festival when the terrorists of Hamas came and um, you know, started uh, terrorizing everyone and killing people. And this man, 23 years old, instead of fleeing and running away, by, as a paramedic by trade, he, he goes and, and uh, basically uh, bandages up people, uh, helps the wounded, even while the gunshots are being fired. And all his colleagues and friends that are like scrambling to get away, they tell him, just leave them, just leave them, just go. And he tells them, no, 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 it's okay, it's okay. I speak Arabic. Maybe I can get through to these guys and they'll let me just take care of the wounded. And yet in his act of service, he died helping people, serving them, probably knowing fully well what it would cost him. Guys, you and I, we don't, we don't like worry about bullets over our heads. We don't worry about our lives like, like in that type of way. Maybe the worst for us is probably losing our jobs, but perhaps that might not be the worst thing for us in our lives. Maybe the worst thing for us is not to realize, is for us to actually not being able to realize who our work ultimately serves. What is our work actually for? Is it not to serve a God who constantly pours himself out to us, who acts as our servant to love us in this way? And Jesus is getting at this fact. I want you to receive everyone. I want you to live your life in serving everyone like a child because ultimately at the end of the way, at the end of the day, that's how I see you. You are the child that I receive. Last point here. What does he mean by this? Because all of us, we have this knee-jerk reaction. I'm not a child. You're a child. I once asked a minister about, you know, how do you minister to adults and grandparents and people who have seen it all? Because it seems a little bit daunting for me. Um, I'm coming from ministering to youth group and college students, and, you know, you just think, adults, oh my gosh, gosh, why, how, do you, how do you serve the, those type of people? And he said, you know, I miss it's really not that different. They're just kids, and they're kids who have money. I was like, oh, that's an interesting way to look about it. See, because they all just need one thing, to be loved. And isn't this what Jesus is getting at? That whoever receives a child in my name receives me. You know why? Jesus calls us to serve everyone as if they're a child. It's because that's how the Lord receives us. Helpless and inconvenience and oftentimes tantruming 
yet unconditionally loved by God. That's all it boils down to. I'm this big fan of Fred Rogers. Any of you? No one? Okay, that's fine. I hope Fred Rogers, who created Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, he's this voice and advocate for all the kids out there, and he wrote, uh, they made this documentary about him, about how he impacted not just children, but all the adults along the way. And he would go around telling people, you're, you're so special and you're wonderful, and he'd spend time with kids and adults, and, and no matter who he said uh, you're special to, people would still make fun of him. Right? They, they would mock him and say, I'm not special, you're crazy. But he would still be absolutely sincere about what he said. And like all these adults, when they watch this documentary, you, you'd witness them just teary-eyed and, and just crying and bawling because they, they perhaps can't believe, maybe I really am loved. Maybe I really am special to someone. And Fred Rogers, he'd write uh, quotes like this, um, you make each day a special day. You know how? By just being your being you, there's only one person in this whole world like you, and people can love you exactly as you are. That perhaps maybe there really is someone that can just love us as we are, our childlike selves. One of the coolest things about Fred Rogers is I heard about uh, an elementary school who's, uh, they had this teacher who died of cancer, and she was like a really beloved teacher. And so you can imagine these little kids never experienced loss like that. And what Fred Rogers did is he, he heard about this, and what he'd do is after his work, he'd go to that elementary school, and he'd just talk to the kids, and he would just listen to them, listen to their grief. He did this for like a week, and no one really knows about this story but he really spent time with them to really hear them out. You know, the thing about grief is, it reminds me of something that he says that here up here. He says, when I was a boy, I would see things in the news. My mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping. To this day, especially in times of disaster, I remember my mother's words, and I'm always comforted by realizing that there are still as many helpers. Look for the helpers. Perhaps that's what we fail to look for to begin with, because we don't want to feel like children, helpless, small, weak. But perhaps this is what God is reminding us, that's what we are, that's what we need to be, because that is where he meets us. It's our childlike selves that Jesus says, come into my arms, I'll carry you. I think about what we're all looking for is a Fred Rogers figure, a feeling to be okay as a child, to know that someone can deeply care and still love you the way that you actually are. Ultimately, we're looking for the love of God, for a God to simply carry us as his little child, but the only way that this is even possible to begin with is because Jesus has to carry his cross. Also that the loving arms of a heavenly father can be wide open and held for us. That God himself gave up his most important thing because he thought you were important. He treasured you with his life. 
And because of that, it's okay to be his child. You're fine. You can be loved exactly as you are. And maybe we don't have to be so grown up about it then. Can you pray with me? Lord, in all the accolades of trying to be greatest, whatever that version of it looks like, Jesus, every time we look at the cross, would it be ever so humbling that you being God would take the form of a servant to ultimately serve us because you see us as your little child and this is something you can never get over. This isn't your backhanded way of telling us to grow up, but instead grow in need of you, to be more and more needy of you because you're there every time we call. Lord, teach us to seek what true greatness looks like. Teach us to look to the cross daily. Teach us to be a servant just like you, Jesus. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, in response, in light of all this,